0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: What is up, everybody? Welcome to. A victory episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite shows like Spotify, Himalaya, Google Podcasts, whatever it is. And if you don't like any of those apps or services, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. It should take you right to the most recent episode. And today, lucky us, we get to break down a win, and a particularly uncompetitive one. This uh, really couldn't have gone better, I think, for the Minnesota Vikings. They take down the Atlanta Falcons at U.S. Bank Stadium 28-28 to 12 although I don't know it's weird that score it's it was both like closer than it looked and not as close as the score makes it look like there were some things that uh, you know made this seem like just this totally hopeless blowout and there were some things that made it seem like actually the Falcons were a lot more competitive in this game than the score uh, leads you to believe but let's uh, you know we'll, we'll go and break all of that down over the course of the show, but where I want to start is kind of at the beginning of the game and, like, the tone-setting moments for the game. Because, essentially, the, the story of the game was this. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens in the beginning of the game. Vikings are up 14-0 in, in the snap of, a, of your fingers. And then the entire game script changes. And then you end up with this really weird stat line, weird box score, where Kirk Cousins only threw it 10 times, or only took, you know, 10 passing attempts. Uh, you know, you had 37 runs. You had this, like, crazy run game. And there's going to be a lot of narratives that are driven out of that, and I don't think that it's the right lesson to learn from this game, even though it is awesome that it happened this time. But let's just kind of attack this chronologically. So the first series, uh, the the Falcons start with the ball. They go three and out in uh, a drive that was basically defined by an unblocked Anthony Barr sack off the edge, which is awesome. That's something that I've talked about all the time on this show. Uh, but if you're unfamiliar, essentially that's how Zimmer designs his blitzes. They're supposed to make you call the wrong protection, and that's how the Vikings get so many unblocked sacks all. The the time because they essentially line up the players in a way that confuses the center or the quarterback or whoever's responsible for telling the O-line who to block, uh, and then they mess that up and somebody gets in untouched, and that happened more than once uh, on Sunday. So that leads to a three and out, and then the punt is blocked by Eric Wilson. I, I really want to look deeper into that, that punt block than what I could see on the actual two angles that the broadcast gave. I, I, I want to see the kind of the end zone view and stuff. Uh, it, it looked like it was just a really good uh, blitz design. It was just a good like pass rush design by Marwan Maloof's unit, and what a kickoff for the new special teams coordinator. But either way, Eric Wilson uh, blocks the punt. They pick it up, gives the Vikings a really short field. They punch it in like immediately uh, to with a a strike to Adam Thielen across the field. He breaks a tackle over Isaiah Oliver, who had a really really rough day in coverage, even though they didn't need to test him very much because of the way the game went out went down. Um, and then. The Falcons get the ball back. They throw an interception to Anthony Harris, who had a monster day. And a couple of slashing zone runs later from Dalvin Cook, they punched it in, it's 14-0, and they've run six offensive plays. And from there, when you're down 14-0 immediately uh, you know, the, the game, the emotion of the game kind of changes and the, the way that both teams will kind of approach the game changes as well. We were on the wrong end of this, uh, last year against Buffalo. If you remember that Buffalo debacle, they fell behind 14 to zero really, really fast. They gave up, uh, a touchdown based on like blow, blown coverages. And then there were like two fumbles early that gave the bills short fields. And suddenly they were down 21, zero in like two seconds. And they managed to kind of stabilize the game after that. But because of the game situation, it's like kind of a lot harder to dig yourself out of that role because the scoreboard changes the way that you have to call the game. And that means that all the strategic decisions change. And primarily, what that means is hey, we are now, we are no longer trying to establish a lead. We have a lead, we have a bunch of cushion. Now we just need to make it so that that cushion doesn't run out. And some teams decide to, you know, try to run up the score, but sometimes that creates weird risk reward situations. What most teams do is they just try to reduce the number of times you're going to get the ball, get rid of all of your op- opponents opportunities to score and really this is all just a fancy way of saying you run you run the ball to run out the clock and that process starts really really early in this game because they got ahead really really early in this game and they did take like a more balanced approach throughout the first half they go into halftime 21, up 21 to 0 and then they come out of halftime and they come out like really really conservative and that's okay because the whole point of it is to essentially make it so instead of each team getting the ball five times each team gets the ball three times and when you're up 28 to 0 and each team gets the ball three times, you can't lose. So you just have to eat enough clock to make it so that the math works out that way. And that's much easier than actually driving down the field against an NFL defense. So it's kind of a a path of least resistance thing. This is a pretty common strategy. I don't think I need to convince anybody that you run the the clock out when you're ahead in the game. But it does create like a, a really weird box score. And what is going to happen now, and what I've already seen happening in all of the broadcasts and the an- analysis of this game, is it's going to be a, a victory lap for run game truthers, basically. And then people who say, yeah, see, look, you can, you can win a game by, by running the ball down your opponent's throat and just, like, demoralizing them. And to a degree, that is kind of what happened here. Like, it isn't the worst example uh, of, of that happening, because you could kind of tell just by the body language of the Falcons down the stretch in this game that, like... Yeah, they were kind of demoralized, but they were demoralized because they were down 28 to zero in their season opener, and they were down that hard in their season opener because of turnovers and and large plays that happened earlier in the game. Not to mention two, I think it was two red zone turnovers, the, the fumble that Trey Waynes caused that Anthony Harris recovered, and then the Anthony Harris, the amazing interception in the end zone. I think both were in the red, uh, I think the fumble is also in the red zone, um, but either way, you know, two turnovers deep in Vikings territory that kept the scoreboard at zero. So yeah, of course they're demoralized. I don't think the run game is what did that. But the run game did exactly what the run game is supposed to do, which is it honestly did more than what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to run out the clock, but it also, like, created a whole bunch of explosive and successful plays. The run game was insane, and I can't wait to get deeper into it. I will probably spend a whole bunch of time on it on tomorrow's show, too, especially, you know, once I can actually get a look at all of the the coaches' tape. Now, I want to get really deep into some of the individual performances that stuck out to me, both good, a couple of bad things, but there's a lot of good to talk about, obviously, because it was a comfortable, boring win, which is the best kind of win. But first, I actually actually want to talk about the fan experience. You guys like going to football games, right? I'm sure a bunch of you actually were at this game. And if so, congratulations. I'm sure that was an awesome experience. But what if when you bought those tickets, you got something back? And that is what you get with the Vivid Seats Loyalty Rewards Program. With Vivid Seats, you can get tickets to a game or a concert or a show or whatever you're feeling... And get something back in return. Namely, you get credit toward your next live event. So as you keep going to stuff and building those awesome memories and and watching the Vikings beat the crap out of NFC opponents, you also get to build credit towards the next awesome thing that you're going to go to. And the app is pretty comprehensive too. You can sort by price, by row and section. You can find concerts, comedy shows, game tickets, whatever you want. And don't worry about awkward setup, you are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats rewards program just by buying tickets through the app. So go to the App Store or to Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. And by the way, all these tickets are backed by a 100% buyer guarantee, so you know that what you're getting is legit and if there's any kind of issue, you get your money back. So quit missing out on an opportunity to earn some credit when you buy your Vikings tickets or whatever else. Go download Vivid Seats and get going on this today. And it wouldn't be complete if I didn't have a promo code that could save you a little bit of money. So enter code KICKOFF at PURCHASE to save a discount of up to $100. What are you waiting for? Go check it out.
0: Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down, Masterclass, or at least your time at home. Masterclass.com slash PER is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. That's LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning into to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing.
1: Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the individual performances in this game. And unfortunately, we can't really discern much about the passing game like I'm pretty sure Kirk Cousins threw less in this game than he did in the Arizona preseason game so it's like we can't like bring a take from this but from what we can discern Kirk Cousins was pretty good he stood in the pocket delivered a couple of strikes uh, I, I actually thought that he did a pretty good I mean his accuracy definitely showed up that is an asset you know you you pay him to make throws uh, like that throw to digs the second the second catch to digs I also kind of saw a couple of the issues that I always had with him there was a throw to Dalvin Cook that I th- kind of think somebody was open deep on because on the broadcast, Charles Davis said like deep, deep, like during the play and he didn't take it and instead threw to a covered Dalvin cook for a gain of zero. Uh, that is the kind of thing that really bugs me, but I can't say for sure that that's actually what happened until the coaches tape comes out. So I'll kind of table that one for now. But if, even if it is, it's like the one throw I had an issue with and the rest were pretty good, man. There was one misidentified blitz. This is the thing that I talked about a ton with Kyle Slaughter. Uh, when we were going through that whole thing, uh, Kirk Cousins made that mistake, or maybe it was Garrett Bradbury, but that was the play that was almost a, a, a strip sack fumble. Uh, it was then later challenged and overturned into a an incomplete pass. I actually kind of commend the grip strength on Kirk Cousins for h- hanging on to that one long enough to get his arm going forward, because that is not an easy thing to do when you're getting hit. Um, overall, the pass protection was spotty for sure. And of course, Pat Elfline did kind of ruin a couple of plays. And that's something that we will definitely have to get into, uh, when I go over the offensive line, but like all in all, I thought Kirk Cousins for what he was asked to do did fine. He wasn't asked to do much and that's not his fault. In fact, I will always take games where you don't have to ask the quarterback to do much. That means you're beating the crap out of them in something else. And as is kind of the theme of the show, like they didn't, decide to not pass very often because they wanted to run the ball instead. They they weren't making a choice between running and passing. It's just the game situation meant that they didn't have to pass, and so why bother? But unfortunately, that also doesn't give us much of a window into, you know, the the passing strategy. And we saw a couple of throws to Thielen, a couple of throws to Diggs. We saw a screen to Rudolph that was brought back on a holding penalty. You know, we saw a couple of other things. But, like, ultimately, we didn't see a ton of passing. Now, that's awesome to, like, not put on tape, of course, because now, like, the Packers have to go scout and all they really have is the preseason. And by the way, I don't think they ran a single rollout in this game. So now even all those rollouts in the preseason that they ran are, like, not trustworthy. So I don't know if you're trying to scout the Vikings as as the backers for the next game. I don't really know like what you look at or, or what you can even come up with. And that's a good thing. That means that they've kind of held their their hand close to their chest. But it is kind of disappointing for guys like me. You have to cover it and I want to know what they're going to do with Irv Smith and stuff. I want to know and I didn't get to. And that's that's no fun. But enough about the passing. Let's talk about uh, the running and uh, well, we'll talk about the offensive line, which will actually start with the pass pro. So a little bit more on the passing. Obviously, Pat Elfline took uh, a couple of, of Grady Jarrett's to the face. And that is something that we all kind of knew was going to happen. I think that that is going to be a standard game for Pat Elfline. And uh, I don't think we should panic about it because I I think this is actually a really good example of like Pat Elfline is probably going to be good for like two or three plays that are ruined. Right. Because he just like stinks. And and especially when he's going up against a guy like Grady Jarrett or somebody like he's going to have Fletcher Cox later in the year. He's going to have Akeem Hicks later in the year. So, like, oh, it was against Grady Jarrett isn't really an excuse because it's not going to get easier. Um, but I also don't think that it's time to, like, go find a fr- Like, you're not going to find anybody who's better than Pat Elfline. There's not anybody on the roster. I don't think Dakota Dozier is better than Pat Elfline. I don't think anybody on the waiver wire or, like, out there in free agency is better. We just kind of have to deal with it and win anyways, which is exactly what happened. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe on, like, two of Pat Elfline's worst plays, they, like, scored touchdowns on the drive anyways. And ultimately, that's kind of like the lesson here, right? The left guard has a bad play, and it's like the ninth most important thing that happened on the drive. And that's kind of why, you know, when we say like, oh, but left guard doesn't matter too much, that's kind of the point that we're making. But I actually thought he had a reasonable day in run blocking, and I thought everybody else had a better day. I, I really liked what I saw from Garrett Bradbury in run blocking. Again, offensive line is something that's really hard to clock in the in the live watch through. So tomorrow when I come back, I'm going to have a, a little bit more in-depth information, and I, I might, you know, completely walk a bunch of these takes back. I've done that in the past. Uh, so, you know, grain of salt with all this stuff. But I, I mean, the the run blocking was, was straight heat the whole time. Like, it was really really strong and having dalvin cook and alexander madison both of whom are really really smart runners and that's the thing that like really got me about alexander madison is that i honestly i genuinely thought he was dalvin cook both because, like, he's, he has the same haircut and because I couldn't see the number on the particular play. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a standard Dalvin Cook run. And I would have totally bought it if uh, Madison didn't turn around after the play and I saw the 25 on his jersey. And that is really, really great. You know, he just doesn't quite have as much burst as Dalvin Cook. I think Dalvin Cook, like, you know, will, will get a little bit, once he gets into the second level, he gets a little bit more. Of course, I mean, he's Dalvin Cook. Uh, but I thought that like both of them ran phenomenally and the run blocking was phenomenal. I thought Josh Klein had a great day. I thought Riley Reef had a great day. I think O'Neal had a pretty good day too. In, in the run blocking, the offensive line really, really chowed down on a kind of retooled and like fairly exciting Atlanta defensive line. They really, really figured this out. This is what Gary Kubiak was brought in to do and he did it. I have talked a ton in the offseason about how, like, you know, going through the running game isn't that smart of an idea because it's too easy to get, like, string together a bunch of two-yard plays and then ruin your offense, but in this particular game, they averaged like, five yards a pop, and if you can do something at five yards a pop, keep doing it. I don't care if it's running, passing, or putting the football in your mouth. If it gets you five yards, do it all the time until they stop you, and they didn't stop the Vikings. I think if I had to give, like, a game ball out to somebody on the offense, it would, I think it would be Josh Klein. Again, I might walk all of that back once I actually go watch these guys in depth on the coach's tape, uh, but it looked like Josh Klein had a really good day, and honestly, if it's not like Dalvin Cook, it's got to be somebody on that offensive line, because I think they were just swallowing people whole on these zone runs. The offense was set up with a couple of short fields early, and then good game situations early as well, so here's kind of the thing about this. This is not a way that you can win every game. This worked this time and the W counts all the same, but you can't like take that strategy of get two turnovers and then run the clock out into another game and like expect it to work out that way. The passing game is going to have to show up and win games in the future. They didn't need it this time, so they kept the whole thing in the shed and we'll just kind of see what happens in Lambeau. Uh, That's not an indictment of the past, they just didn't use it, Uh, but they'll have to unsheathe that thing at some point and see what it can do for the Vikings. And with a win like this, maybe you've had a couple drinks and maybe you want some celebratory wings or cake or I don't know your life. With DoorDash, you can get that delivered directly to you. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off of their first order of 15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. And before we start talking about the defense, I want to talk real quick about Blue Chew. Guys, it's time that you take your physical relationship with your partner seriously, and Blue Chew can help you do that. It is the very first chewable tablet of its kind. It has all the same active ingredients as like Viagra and Cialis, so you know what? we're talking about here, Uh, but as it's a chewable, it kicks in twice as fast, so when the moment's right, you don't have to sit around waiting for a pill to kick in. And don't get me wrong here, this is not just for, like, men of a certain age who maybe can't perform the way they used to, though it does work very well if that happens to be your situation, it's also for people who maybe just want an upgrade, a leg up. Blue Chew is made right here in the United States, and they ship direct to your door. So that means no pharmacy, no wait, and it's a little bit cheaper. And they ship in a nice, discreet package, so there's no awkwardness. Now, if you go to bluechew.com, that's b-l-u-e-c-h-e-w, blue like the color blue.com, and enter promo code Locked On, you can try it for free today. And you don't have to take my word for it. So head on over to bluechew.com, use promo code Locked On, and try it for free. You deserve it. Okay, so let's talk about this defense. So there's, like, a whole lot of star performances to highlight, and I could honestly spend, like, a whole episode talking about each and every one of these guys right now. Uh, But, like, goodness, everybody was playing on all cylinders. You know, Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter were making those tackles' lives miserable. And you might not have seen it in the box score, but I, I can tell you with a reasonable degree of certainty that they were just, like, existing in the backfield. They were feasting on these guys. Everson Griffin specifically had a spin move that Falcons left tackle Jake Matthews had absolutely no answer for. Daniil Hunter was using speed to power brilliantly. He looks like Everson Griffin circa 2015. And Anthony Barr, as a blitzer, was also extremely disruptive although I do think that a lot of that has to do with the blitz schemes and Anthony Barr being very, very good at executing them. But Anthony Barr is also really good at blowing up tight ends and running backs, and that's kind of the whole point. Uh, If if you want more on this, go back and find the episode when he was re-signed. The whole point of Anthony Barr is that you can't really trust a running back or a tight end on him. You have to put an offensive lineman on him, and then it gets really easy to screw with protections from there. So from a defensive line angle, this was utter domination. Matt Ryan was running for his life. He was getting beat up. The The run game for the Falcons never got going, although game situation had a whole bunch to do with that. It was kind of the inverse of what happened uh, with the Vikings. You know, when you're down 28-0 in the third quarter, you can exactly afford to, like, establish the run. But I am truly fascinated to look deeply into you were going up against Matt Ryan, Mo Sanu, and Calvin Ridley, and you could probably sense the fear for me when I was breaking down the previews of this game in Crossover Wednesday and the, the breakdown third Thursday show, I, I was truly like, these guys are really good. How are we going to stop them? And then Mackenzie Alexander goes down in the game. By the way, he has a dislocated elbow. He's going to get an MRI uh, on Monday. Full disclosure, I'm recording this the night before, so I don't know how that went. Uh, I'll talk about it on tomorrow's show, though. But you now you have, like, Chris Boyd in the game against these guys. How in the world do you stop them? And I think the biggest part is, and I, I really highlighted this as, like, the matchup of the game, and I don't think it's a particularly hot take, is Xavier Rhodes shutting down... Julio Jones and I do think that there's uh, that, that, that it came down to a, a mental thing. I think Julio Jones is a better athlete than just about any corner he goes up against. but I think Xavier Rhodes won from the neck up. Calvin Ridley did get a couple of licks in on Trey Wayne's, including that that touchdown. But because of game situation, another thing that's like warped when it's a kind of a, a blowout scoreboard is that the Vikings are going to switch to a very conservative defense. And they were already in a conservative game plan, kind of like I expected. A lot of off-coverage, a lot of let them catch it in front of you, you know, let that pass just be a four-yard completion. They can't beat you with four-yard completions, and that kind of bore out. They didn't, they couldn't, you know, eventually they had to try, you know, deeper stuff, and that's when some of the better plays from, like, Anthony Harris and Harrison Smith came into play. But when I look at the All-22 of this, I really do expect to to watch Julio Jones and just see him covered, blanketed all the time, and I think Xavier Rhodes had a really, really good day. And, of course, I gotta talk about Anthony Harris, and, and you're gonna know this, but let's just, like, itemize everything that he did because he had the interception off of the second drive that set up the second touchdown. He picked up the fumble that Trey Waynes forced on, I think it was Devonta Freeman, with just a monster hit and run support, forces a fumble. Anthony Harris picks that up. He also had, I think, a pass breakup on Julio Jones uh, in addition to the interception over Julio Jones, and he had the interception in the end zone with uh, one of the Falcons' tight ends running a corner route in the end zone, and he basically ran it for him and, and was right there when Matt Ryan threw a really bad ball. that actually looked like a miscommunication though to me between the uh the quarterback and the tight end the tight end looked like he was trying to break back inside uh and he made that decision like right as Matt Ryan let the ball go because and and I think the tight end was actually right he was trying to break in where there was like more uh more space because Anthony Harris was basically taking out away the whole outside of that route Matt Ryan threw it anyways easy pick and the shutout was maintained, at least for the time being. And, of course, uh, I should really quickly mention that Chris Boyd came in the game and was horrible. That's fine. I mean, he's like CB5. Like, you probably aren't going to want him in the game at all. And depending on how uh, Mackenzie Alexander's MRI turns out, they might actually look toward a free agent to make sure that they don't have to put Chris Boyd on the field anymore. Though it was uh, it was Mark Fields who gave up the touchdown to Julio Jones, which I guess matters for, like, fantasy football and pretty much nothing else. So, all in all, in this game, this, this game is going to really be difficult. Difficult to like pull any conclusions out of for any players at all, and and I kind of don't think that I can like comfortably say that like you know so and so is. I think I could say that about some of the defenders, um, but even then you know you have a big lead and and the pass rushers can just kind of tee off. They they can like play and, and attack linemen differently, depending on the game situation, you know, they can employ different moves, you know, different things. They can kind of not worry about keeping contain, especially with a quarterback like Matt Ryan, who's not going to, you know, run around and Russell Wilson on you. They have just like that much less to worry about. And anyways, you know, if they do give up a big play because they lost contained or something like we're up five touchdowns, it's fine. But, you know, so they, they can employ that kind of strategy, and the game situation just warps everything. Not That isn't to take anything away from the games that Griffin and Hunter had, it just provides context and kind of shows you that, like, yeah, when you're in the lead, your defensive ends are going to destroy people, That that's not a knock on the defensive ends, that actually just means that they had a great game. But, like, I wouldn't really pull anything other than a few defensive individual performances, like, wow, Anthony Harris looks good, you know, defensive line looks good, Barr looks good, I thought Kendricks looked awesome in coverage, missed a couple tackles, that's Maybe a little bit of a thing, but whatever. But I mean, offensively, I I can't really pull anything out of this game because game situation like this is not going to be the Vikings the way that Vikings games go. You're not going to see two turnovers and then run the clock out like that is not a sustainable thing and that it, it it doesn't really have a bearing on how Vikings are going to fare in games that that don't get out of hand immediately. This is great. This win counts and and the W is awesome and it happened against a team that I don't think is easy to beat and I honestly I think after that 14-0 run, the the Falcons basically played the Vikings to a stalemate and and to their credit, they did a lot of good things after the the disastrous start. But ultimately, I don't think we're going to see a Vikings team that runs 37 times and passes it 10 times unless they're up 21 nothing in the first quarter again. And when you're up 31 or 21 nothing in the first quarter, like, that is kind of how the game is going to go, no matter if you uh, decided to be a run-first team or a pass-first team or whatever, that's just going to kind of be what you do. So we didn't learn a lot strategically about the Vikings, which I guess is good for them because it makes them harder to scout, kind of stinks for us because we want to know and talk about it, and it's exciting and tell us, and that's it's more fun that way. But all in all, I call it a boring win, and boring wins are my favorite kind of wins because that means that it was never in doubt for even like a half a second. Uh, and, And that's really great against a team that really, I think, has playoff aspirations for this year in terms of the Falcons. I think the Falcons are a good team. And to really just like bring the wood to them is a really awesome way to kick off the season. I I really couldn't be happier with this one, but that is going to do it for this episode of locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow with a much more in-depth thing. I'll follow up on a bunch of the stuff that I kind of tabled for today. I can't wait to look at some of this uh, tape and, and see exactly how the Vikings pulled off some of the things that they did, like shutting down Julio Jones and getting that zone run game going against guys like Tack McKinley and Grady Jarrett. Uh, that that is really, really awesome, and I can't wait to see exactly how they, they did that. Uh, in the meantime, you can always find me on Twitter at Luke NFL. I'll probably be uh, posting some film tomorrow. When I look into that, uh, you can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, you can always find this show by asking your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow for what is kind of my favorite show of the week, except maybe Crossover Wednesday is always fun. And then beyond that, it'll be Packers time. So thank you guys so much. And as always, Skull.
0: Hey, sports fans, my name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune in to Locked Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Lockdown Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.